0: Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the Bedigal people whose land UNSW resides on. I pay my respects to elders past and present and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people watching along with us today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello there and welcome to Tea and Talk. Tea and Talk is our chance to chat about what wellness actually means for uni students. Every episode, we'll be exploring the bitter, the sweet, and all the flavours in between of mental health, all with a cup of tea in hand. So grab a cuppa, get cosy, and let's chat. I'm Isabel, the 2021 Wellness Coordinator at ARC. My preferred pronouns are she and her, and today I'm going to be drinking a green tea. So today's guest is Stella Laticus, a mental health first aid instructor and a BATIA facilitator. Stella is a member of the Greek community, is a UNSW alumni, and is passionate about challenging the stigma that surrounds mental health and well-being. Welcome Stella. So um, could you share your pronouns a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what you're drinking
1: today? Thanks so much Isabel, thanks for having me here today. Uh, my name is Stella, my pronouns are she, her. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a mental health first aid instructor. I've been working in the mental health field for the last maybe five or so years in a number of capacities. Um, so across Headspace, Batir, I've done some peer support work, some community engagement work, facilitation, um, and in August or September last year, I launched my own mental health training organization. So exciting. that's my, yeah, really exciting. That's sort of my core thing that I'm doing at the moment. Um, I've also got my um, diploma in counseling, and I'm in my final year of a behavioral studies degree as well. So it's a very busy time, um, and I am drinking an English breakfast tea with a little bit of milk, no sugar. We love it. Such a good <laughs> choice. Always such a classic. It's, it is a
0: classic. So you mentioned that you um, do for mental health first aid. What exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah, so mental health first aid training is essentially the help that's provided to someone who's experiencing um, a mental health problem for the first time, Maybe they're experiencing a worsening of an already existing mental health problem or they're in crisis. Um, and the first aid is given until professional help arrives. So really, really similar to your physical first aid where in the case of a snake bite, a heart attack, a, any sort of physical first aid ailment, um, it doesn't teach you how to be a GP or how to be a, you know a therapist or anything like that. But it teaches you how do I actually recognize signs? Mm -hmm. How do I approach somebody and have a conversation with somebody about what I've noticed and how do I keep this person safe until they're linked with a professional? So that's essentially the mental health first aid training. Um, So pretty much the equivalent of the physical first aid, but just with our mental health. And we know, know mental health problems are so common amongst people these days. So it's a really useful course Um, to be able to identify just how to pick up signs from people around you yeah definitely so it's not the same as therapy no 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 so whenever I start a course I always just flag number one I'm not teaching you to be a therapist and number two this isn't a therapeutic group either Mm -hmm. um there are elements throughout the course you know because we are talking about something that is so personal um I share my experiences at various points throughout the course. Um, I encourage people as well to, if they have any sort of case studies or scenarios or conversations they've had with people um, and they dealt with it a certain way, like I do create a safe space for people to bring that up, but it's obviously not required. Um, And so it's important for me to sort of create that boundary between I'm educating people to be able to be first responders, mm-hmm. um, not how to actually do the therapeutic support after that first response, or it's not a, a place where people can just come and unload everything for two <laughs> days, kind of a thing. So that's not what we're on about with the Mental Health First Aid course.
0: Yeah, so helping people to see or recognize signs and help them, that person who needs help, to get that help. Yeah, yeah, essentially right. Great. Cool. Um, so you've been involved in encouraging conversations about mental health in the Greek community. Um, are there any specific challenges you think that are faced by the Greek community when it comes to mental health? Um, yes
1: and no. I feel like there are challenges that aren't necessarily specific to the Greek community in particular. I think it's something that's common across like the Greek community the um, Lebanese community, the Egyptian community, the Chinese community, like there's a lot of um, that sort of cultural misunderstanding around um, mental health. The one thing that I guess might be a little bit more specific with the Greek community, so in our culture, we have this thing called the mati. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've probably seen, like, it's like that evil eye. So it's if you see anything, Greek jewellery, Greek bags, they've all got sort of that eye, and that evil eye is essentially supposed to sort of ward off um, evil spirits. Um, anecdotally, I've heard a few conversations and um, stories and remarks that um, some of the older people in the Greek community... Yeah if their grandchild or if someone that they know um, is experiencing a mental health problem or they've been diagnosed with a mental illness, they kind of attribute it to this thing called the mati, so someone has like put a curse on them oh, wow. um, and they need to do like some ritual to sort of remove that curse. It mm-hmm. is a little bit of an old school mentality and I'm happy to say i'm i don't know too many people that are actually that still believe in that yeah um but i guess it's something that's reflective across something that happens across a lot of cultures that there is a misunderstanding around what mental health is um even a simple understanding that mental health is not the same thing as mental illness um rather mental illness is somewhere that sits on the spectrum of our mental health um so I think there's some specific, sorry, specific like cultural, I guess, barriers, and I think um, that makes it a bit difficult for young people in our community to reach out. Yeah. Um, particularly to to support networks like their parents and grandparents who might have really stigmatizing views, and I know, um, you know, being a UNSW or ex UNSW student myself. I know we're probably one of the most multicultural universities within Australia. Um, And I've had so many conversations with people that just come from cultural backgrounds that are so stigmatising and so... um, I wouldn't say unaware, but just they have very, very different views to, I guess, what we would ideally like people to be at in terms of their understanding of mental ill health. Um, So I would say that sort of what the Greek community faces in terms of the stigma and those cultural um, cultural misunderstandings, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I can't really speak about the Greek experience, but um, immigrant experiences in particular, if you're like first gen, second gen, it can be quite difficult to have those intergenerational conversations. Uh, I personally have found it quite difficult to speak to my parents about it. And I think like that's something that's quite common because there's just a very different understanding of mental health and um, the approaches towards mental health amongst different um, generations. Mm. Um, And, you know, when you've grown up in a completely different context to that of your parents, um, it can make those conversations really difficult. Mm.
1: Um,
0: Do you have any thoughts on, like, how
1: students can open up that conversation? Yeah, I think... It's interesting because I don't... Like, I wish I had... The, salute, the, the answer yeah. to that problem. Um, I think in my experience, like with my um, grandparents in particular, who were born overseas and came out here later on in their life, um, even my dad, who was born in Greece and only came out here when he was 30, um, I feel as though it's taken a little while to actually educate them yeah. around you know trying to reduce some of those stigmatizing views um they've gotten a lot better like my grandfather is you know very very warm and loving and understanding <laughs> but you can see that there is a little bit of that cultural um or generational difference as well um i think it is about just being brave and being persistent in having that conversation um there is so much data and evidence out there to show kind of you know what what we're talking about essentially to show that mental health exists mental illness exists mental illness is a real mental illness is a treatable um, there is now so much evidence around all of that yeah and I think for some people before all of this data came out I feel like mental health was just this thing that it was kind of like it was just like yeah this thing that no one really knew about yeah. no one really spoke about it so it was hard to actually have a concrete conversation. Whereas now, we can say how many people in Australia will experience a mental health problem. We actually have statistics as to how many people die by suicide, for example. We have really conclusive evidence as to what some of the main di- um mental health disorders look like. How do they manifest? How are they treated? Um, so there's a lot more data and information. And I think for some people, having actually that concrete evidence can be a little bit more. Real, like reliable and validating Definitely. in that sense um, so whether it's something that you can weave into the conversation and try and educate like I'm a huge believer in education and that's that's exactly why I created Medarchy Mental Health Training because we're not going to alleviate the stigma around mental health unless we educate each other um, with accurate and reliable information and that's why I'm so passionate about the Mental Health Forsaid course because that's what it does Um, so I really think if we're going to increase that, um, that intergenerational dialogue and we want to try and increase that understanding and awareness, we need to be, we as young people, we just need to be brave and we need to actually be willing to have those conversations and to even challenge, um, some of our parents' and grandparents' beliefs, um, so like for example if your if your parent says something really stigmatizing our, our mental health actually not just sweeping it under the rug like challenging them about them yeah about that and sort of asking them why do you think that um and then us like we can have the resources and the knowledge to be like well actually that's not true we know now that based on this based on that um what you've just said doesn't actually exist anymore or it's not true or things like that so There's no sort of clear-cut answer. I think we just need to be willing to keep having these conversations um, between the generations.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we live in an age of information. There's so much data online, so many resources that you can find. Um, So when someone does say something that is stigmatizing or incorrect even... Um, You know, you can be like, well, this is actually like a medically peer-reviewed study and this shows that that's actually not the case. And like you said, having those facts, those figures um, to back up what you're saying can really, really help change people's perspectives. Yeah. And coming from it, like not in an argumentative way, I guess, as well. No, yeah, of
1: course. Like one of my my favourite things, so in the Mental Health First Aid course, um, right at the end, so like throughout the course we we challenge... um, certain sort of like stereotypes and stigmas that exist and right at the end I do this activity where I take on the role of someone who's got really stigmatizing views so I'll literally put myself up on the firing line I'll sit in front of them in front of the group and I'll say a statement as if we're like at a dinner party for example yeah and then the group has to respond to me with why I'm wrong um and I find it really interesting from the start of the course where they might actually like some of the things that i say at the end they might have said before or they Uh might have said at the start of the course whereas at the end they're like well actually no we know now that this is this or this is an effective treatment of all this stuff um and that's the thing like that's that's what's so key with education you don't know it's like you don't know what you don't know until you know
0: yeah
1: um and that's why I think in the past I used to get really frustrated and really angry with people that had stigmatizing views Mm -hmm. um but it's like I kind of took a step back of like you know what like I don't know much about some other things but if I was educated on it my mind might change so it's the same thing with mental health as well like more often than not your parents or your grandparents or other people in your family that might have those stigmatizing views they're actually not trying to be horrible people yeah um more often than not it's just that lack of education and lack of knowledge and that's what's really cool and empowering for us as young people that we can actually change that conversation
0: yeah definitely and Mm. i think you know they didn't really have the same privilege of learning about this stuff as Mm. we do like there's so much conversation about it amongst young people now Uh, There's a lot more, like, science backing it, um, a scientific understanding of why things happen, like, the connection between all of them. Mm. And, like, that's such a privilege. And we can share that with, you know, our parents and our grandparents as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, um, as we've spoken about um, just a bit earlier, uh, the language surrounding mental health can be very stigmatising, especially in cultures where it isn't an open topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. So this can make it quite difficult for people struggling with mental health to open up and reach out for support. Um, How do you think people can change their language about mental health to help destigmatize the topic and sort of allow for that open conversations to take Mm -hmm. place?
1: Yeah, I love that you brought that up because language is something that I'm so passionate about and something that every course I run, whether it's mental health first aid or not, I bring up language. Um, So some of the really common ones, for example, are the language that we use around suicide is a Mm. really, really key one. And it's something that you'll still see, it really bugs me, but you still see it in media and news reports where people will say, um, you know, this person committed suicide. And the reason why that language is so problematic is because, you know, people commit crimes you mm-hmm. commit murder. You don't commit a suicide. So the a lot of people don't actually know the historical background of that. So up until, I want to say either 1961 or 1963, one of those days, maybe 61, I think, suicide was actually considered a crime. Oh, wow. It was actually a criminal act. In Australia? Um, in Australia, yeah. Wow. So it was decriminalised in 61. Um, however, the language around committing suicide has still remained um and even that has implications for how we view suicide um even the language and again it bugs me so much (laughs) that still like channel 10 channel 9 channel 7 news still uses this terminology but even using the words like it was a successful suicide or an unsuccessful suicide you know what they're trying to say it was either a suicide that resulted in death or they survived the attempt but we should never be labeling suicide as a success or not a success um so things like that even the way that we talk about eating disorders the language that people use like i know a lot of older generations like i remember telling this one um a family friend he might be in his 60s i would say i told him i work in the mental health field not even like that I Not even like community engagement, the promotion side of things. I was yeah. just like, oh, I work in mental health. And his first comment was, oh, so like you deal with all the crazies. Wow. And I took a moment <laughs> to be like, okay, I have to understand that he comes from a generation yeah. where, you know, people were locked up and sent away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think the history around the way that mental illness was dealt with in society Mm -hmm. has really impacted on the older generation. Yeah. Um, Like I've I've even heard people our age, you know, we talk about our psycho ex-girlfriends or Mm. the crazy possessive boyfriends, the the terminology and the language that we use without realising has such a big impact. Yeah. Um, You might even notice, um, you know, if someone moves their glasses like this instead of that way it's like oh i'm so ocd yeah
0: definitely.
1: um and it's like you know you're, you're trivializing something that's actually an illness we wouldn't talk the same and when you start to think about it we wouldn't talk the same way about cancer or about autism or things like that we wouldn't be like oh i feel so autistic today but it's like oh i'm so bipolar today and it's like why do we kind of trivialize these illnesses so language has a massive part to play and i think you don't you don't realize that until you actually again educate yourself and become aware um and i think that's something that again us as young people because i'm assuming it's going to be the young people that are (laughs) going to be listening to this we're going to get 80 year olds listening to this but it's our job that when we hear that language we don't just be like oh, okay, Now that's just how people talk. It's like, no, let's challenge it. Why Why are you saying that? Correct somebody because they might not know that what they're saying is actually stigmatizing. Um, even in your own peer or friendship group, if someone in that group is struggling and someone is using really harmful language, of course that person is not going to speak up and put their hand up and be like, I need help. Mm. Um and the re- it, it's so important for us to actually realise how, you know, the way that we speak about mental health stops people from reaching out. The fact that people aren't reaching out is leading to suicide. Definitely. And I think once you actually think ahead as to what's the flow-on effect, or even if you think backwards, if you think, okay, well, how do we stop suicide? We need to increase service provision. We need to reduce stigma. How do you reduce stigma? You change the way that we talk about it. Yeah. How do you change the way we talk about it? We take ownership. We pick up on when, when other people are using stigmatising language or saying horrible things or aren't getting the right education around it. Um, I don't even remember what the question was, <laughs> but I hope that sort of answered it somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, you actually brought up a really good um, situation. So you, when you mentioned the guy who was like oh so you deal with the crazies um in a situation like that how would you recommend someone who is encountering this to sort of respond and you know challenge that person's perspective
1: yeah so the first thing I would recommend take a deep breath because that's exactly what I had to do because I was a split second from (laughs) absolutely blowing this guy's ear off um and, and that's the thing when you are educated and you know a bit better it's very frustrating to be like how can you say this um so really what i did in that situation take a deep breath and if you can just be a bit i know it's hard but be a bit empathetic and try and think okay why does that person have that view in my mind i was like okay he's about 60 70 years old i thought about what generation did he come from? Probably what was he exposed to? And in all honesty, he's the type of guy that has a very closed group of people that all think the same. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, probably no one has ever actually spoken to him mm-hmm. about this. So I think having all that in mind, rather than getting angry, I'm also saw it as an opportunity to be like, I have a chance now to actually change this person's mind so in terms of if, you know, if anyone listening does come across a situation like that, I think it's really, it's really important to maybe ask them gently why they think that way, or like, mm-hmm. maybe not why did you say that, but, um, you know, why do you, why do you think that? Why do you think people that have mental illness are crazy? More often than not, they're not going to actually have a reasonable or logical response. Mm-hmm. and They're not going to know why they've said that. Yeah. It's just because you see it in the paper, you see it in the media, and because that's what other people say, it's like, oh, but, like, they're crazy. And it's like, yeah, but why? Yeah, it's almost like a reflex. Yeah, essentially. Um, so I think it's, it's important just to have a genuine conversation with that person and just try and challenge and get a bit of a deeper understanding of where that belief comes from because I can guarantee more often than not, it's not actually going to be from a place of education, experience, or knowledge. Yeah, it's just gonna be from a place of, well, this is what our society thinks, and this is what I've been told or grown up with, mm-hmm. um, and that's a really cool opportunity to then educate them and change their mind.
0: Yeah, um, I think we've spoken a lot about like the power of the individual in this, but like, I guess what is the onus of an individual um, to ed- educate people? Like because. You know it can get tiring to constantly be correcting other people and mm-hmm. just because you have that knowledge doesn't always necessarily mean that it's appropriate or to um like that it's necessary for you to speak up so like when do you think it is necessary and how do you recommend individuals know when to look out for themselves mm-hmm. um and make sure that they're not burning out trying to correct everyone else or help everyone else
1: yeah, see, so this is difficult because I fall into that trap <laughs> of, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky question. Um, I think, like, it's really hard for people that work in the mental health space, like, even, like, other organizations that I've worked with, so Headspace and Batir, where we're all trying to do the same thing, we're all trying to educate, um, trying to go out there, correct people, educate, train, upskill, all this kind of thing, Um and it's really hard to actually be like, I need to step back for my own well being to avoid burnout and things like that. Um, and I think that's up to every individual. Like, if you have an awareness of your own mental well being, you'll know when you've reached a limit and when you can't actually put yourself in that position to have a conversation with somebody and try and challenge them and have this discussion and things like that. Um, In terms of like the onus of the individual, I personally believe that change is not going to happen unless it's going to happen from that grassroots individual to individual approach because it's all good and well to have, you know, are you okay day, um, beyond blue lifeline ads and things like that, which definitely have their place, but change isn't going to happen on that kind of, Level, Yeah. Because, yeah, okay, you'll go to work, you'll participate in You U OK Day, you'll eat some cupcakes, you'll hear a speech, but then if you turn around and say, say to someone, oh, God, people with mental illness are crazy, what's the change being made there? Um, so I think it's tricky, but individuals do have a lot of ownership and accountability in terms of being the change. Um, but it's important that we are being self-aware, and I say this to myself, we are being <laughs> self-aware and knowing when we need to take a step back um, and recharge. It's like that whole thing where, you know, you can't, um, what's the saying? You can't pour from an empty cup.
0: Yes, we love that saying here. Yes, <laughs>
1: um, And actually, I heard someone rephrase it really nicely that you can't pour from an empty cup, but you can refill your cup. Um, and I like that added element because it's like, if you can't pour from an empty cup, it's not about okay. Well, I can't do anything. It's I need to actually take a step back so I can fill my cup so that I can help other people. Yeah, as well. So really emphasizing that importance of you know self care and being able to look after our mental well being so that we can, you know, do the work that we need to do to create change. Yeah,
0: definitely. And it is such like an important thing to do. And having that self belief that what you are doing mm-hmm. is going to change is what drives so many people to do the things. Mm. Um, so I guess circling back to the original question. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, this was a great tangent. But, um, so <laughs> we were talking about how people can change their language um, around mental health. So do you have any like specific things that you'd recommend people do or like be aware of when they're speaking about mental health um, that they can implement so that they can allow for... know open conversations between their friends about mental health or even like opening up
1: conversations with um others yeah um i think a key thing is like like i spoke quite a bit about before just be aware of what language is not okay to use Mm -hmm. and things like you know commit suicide um and some other things that we spoke about as well so that's the first thing being aware of that kind of stuff um If you are talking to your mates about it, like even just having an understanding that somebody in your peer group might actually be struggling, like if you know they're struggling, I feel like any decent human being would not have it in them to want to further put that person down. Um, And I think once you realize as well how common mental health problems and struggles are, you kind of bring it into light. Like, I know when I talk into, like with my group of friends now, I'm a lot more aware of... I might say something that might actually upset somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I know what kind of struggles my friends are going through, but it's like, you know, if something new might pop up. So it's about sort of being aware um, of, you know, the fact that it, it's all around us. Um, and if you're not sure, like, always asking somebody. If you've upset somebody within that conversation, actually taking ownership of that and apologizing and saying, you know, is there any other words that I can use or how would you like me to talk about this? Or was this upsetting to you? Like, obviously whatever happened in that conversation. Um, but I think it just comes down to yes, being educated, but just being mindful as well that our language has a really big impact on people's ability to put their hands up and get help. Um, and I think once that clicks in as well, it does tend to change a few people's perspectives on how they manage conversations and what they share yeah. with their group of friends.
0: Definitely. So, like, that open, honest, and mature communication, really.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is something that not a lot of people in our generation are able to do, but we're getting <laughs> there. <laughs> slowly, slowly. Well,
0: I think it's hard. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, like, open, honest communication, but I do find it quite difficult, especially, like, if... You know, I don't ever want to say something that hurts other people, but, like, we're all human and it does happen. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be like, you know, I messed up by saying that and, you know, I need to take ownership of that. But it is something that's also really, like, fulfilling and it strengthens your friendship and your relationships with others when you take that ownership and you're like, that was my fault and I'm really sorry and, like, I need to apologize for how I phrased that or said that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, because the thing is, like, you don't know what someone else might be going through, like, even though they might be your your friend for however many years, like, you don't actually know what's going on, like, particularly if you're in a friendship group that has really stigmatizing views, of course that person's not going to want to speak up, so who knows what they've got going on underneath the surface, um... And that's like one of the, one of the things with mental ill health and just mental health problems in general. We know that a lot of people put on a brave face or put put on a mask. So, someone that you're with might be seemingly okay, seemingly perfectly normal and fine, but you don't know what's going on. Um, and that's that's not even something that can be related just to mental health as well. Like even with with physical health things as well, yeah. just health in general. Like, you don't know what's going on in a person's life. Um, so you just want to be mindful of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, like, not all disabilities are visible. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. And it's probably does us and them a disservice for assuming what's going on mm-hmm. behind what, what they present to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So I think, you know, this past year has been a lot for a lot of people <laughs> yeah um, put it lightly um, but one of the good things that has come out of it is that when awareness of mental health has definitely increased there's definitely more of a conversation around it um, and people um, acknowledging it a lot more as a serious issue um, do you feel like there's been a change in the way mental health
1: is approached in a more practical sense 100% um, even the facts when you look throughout 2019 or well, the end of 2019 and 2020 um, I have never seen so many Lifeline ads um, at bus stops on TV on the news um, Beyond Blue had some as well but Lifeline was a massive one that I saw um, like we know as well that oh, I don't know the exact statistic but the Lifeline calls went through the roof during COVID and yeah. um, Contrary to popular belief, the suicide rates didn't actually increase, which is good, but the calls to lifeline increased. That's interesting. Meaning that more people actually felt comfortable to reach out for support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really reflective of, you know, there was a lot more awareness around mental health. The really funny thing... <sighs> yeah, let's call it funny. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, like, mental health, has it's it's been around for as long as humans have been around. Yeah. If you have a brain, you have a mental health. Um, I find it really funny that during COVID, so many more people were actually becoming more aware of their mental health because probably mm-hmm. for the first time in their lives, their mental health was affected because of job loss, uh, lockdown, all these things that were going on because it, it was an external thing that was causing mental health problems and I think you know sometimes there are external reasons Um, job loss, natural disasters, trauma, um, socioeconomic status, things like that. There are external factors that can increase a person's risk but for some people mental illness can just kind of come out of nowhere. You can be in a really supportive environment in the best school, have a really healthy upbringing and you can still develop an illness like with any medical or physical yeah. illness right and i think what COVID did was brought to light that regardless okay it was an external factor so mm-hmm. we could blame COVID for it mm-hmm. but a lot more people were struggling yeah and there was a lot more conversation around hey we're in a pandemic so of course our mental health is going to be all over the place reach out so in a way i'm glad that happened my slight concern is that oh now people think that something has to happen yeah for your mental health to be bad that's my only concern that might come out of this Mm -hmm. um but look on the positive side it encouraged a lot more conversation because a lot more people were struggling um a lot more awareness was coming out around it and like I even noticed people that honestly I haven't spoken to in years mm-hmm. We're reaching out like oh look this happened because um, at the time I was working at Headspace and like how do I access Headspace um so I think help seeking was like it did increase during COVID um which is good it's always a fantastic thing I just hope that you know once COVID is over maybe in 30 years time <laughs> I hope that that same kind of okay mental health is a thing yeah and you can reach out for it and you don't need it doesn't need to take a global pandemic for that to happen um so I think it was great like it's really put mental health services um in the limelight um and it's really brought people's attention to the fact that like some of the main um advertising campaigns that were coming out were around sort of self-care and connection um like even telstra i think came out with an ad or one of the phone companies came out with an ad about how connection is good for our mental health yeah so I've seen that. use telstra <laughs> to connect <laughs> with people around you um, but that messaging i think is really important because it's something that we know that connect like connection and a strong social support and network can be a protective factor for our mental health and well-being so i think That was also brought to light during COVID as well. The fact that as humans, we need connection to actually be okay and to be mentally well. Um, So there were some really good messages that did come out of the pandemic. I really hope that it does continue.
0: Yeah, I think definitely being able to sort of separate the mental health aspect from the individual and like blame it on COVID has Mm. actually allowed people to be like, oh, it's okay for me to say that I'm struggling because it's not my fault. And yeah, like hopefully that eventually translates into it's okay just to talk about mental health in general. Yeah. And I don't need
1: the pandemic
0: or an external, you know, factor affected yeah. me.
1: Yeah. I've noticed um, a lot more sort of corporate businesses as well. And I know why they're doing it. <laughs> like it's, I just, I find a lot more corporates now, like the big the big companies are starting to actually get a lot of like mental health first aid training mm-hmm. um, and starting to become mental health first aid recognized workplaces in response to COVID.
0: Yeah.
1: I can see why they're doing it because from a business perspective, it looks great that, yeah, yeah we've trained our workforce. <laughs> um, but you know what, regardless of the motive, I'm just happy that the fact that they actually are getting that training. So you kind of, yeah, put aside that maybe they are doing it to, you know, be like, look how great we are. But it's like the, the employees there are still getting that yeah. really useful training. So um, as weird as it is, I'm kind of glad COVID happened. <laughs> because I don't know if we would be having some... Of, if a lot of people would be having these conversations about mental health if yeah. COVID didn't happen. Definitely.
0: And I think also we're at a point where because we've got so much science and so much like better understanding... Um, COVID has allowed for those conversations as opposed mm. to for example I don't know like World War 2 um, they yeah. didn't have that same language so when veterans came back with PTSD there wasn't really an understanding of why that was happening and like you know the fact that oh this is actually a mental health issue so we mm. should be addressing it seriously mm. whilst now because we've got that language that understanding um, that sort of was ready to help catch everyone yeah
1: Yeah, all of us working in the mental health, we were, like, there waiting for our (laughs) opportunity to go and, like,
0: help people. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, that's so great. Um, Do you think, like, whilst you've been doing these, like, mental health first aid training sessions, that there's been a difference um, in the way that people respond, like, pre-COVID versus post-COVID?
1: Um, I wouldn't say there's actually been too much of a noticeable change in yeah. all honesty. Um so pre COVID a lot of the stuff because I only started doing the mental first day training in like August, September. Oh, so yeah. I was already it was during COVID that I actually because you know there's no better time to launch a business <laughs> than during COVID. Um so but my I'd been doing workshops and trainings through Headspace and Batir before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um I think if anything, I've noticed that maybe people during the courses are a little bit more willing to open up and talk yeah. a bit more. Um, because this this of this shared experience of COVID, I've just noticed some people are a bit more willing to share, maybe not like their personal things, but like, mm. oh, you know, a friend of mine did this or said this, you know, how could I have gone about that better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that's I've noticed like a slight change yeah but I wouldn't say it's been a really dramatic or noticeable kind of change yeah
0: um so do you think like this general increased awareness and acknowledgement of mental health um is present across all subcultures within Australia
1: probably not (laughs) um I think we still have quite a long way to go um and I found it really interesting so lately I've been um doing some training with some of the new arc volunteers yeah um and it's yeah it's really really cool because they all come from very different backgrounds and Mm -hmm. actually in the course i ran this week um sorry last week there was a student who messaged me afterwards and actually said all of this information was new to me so her background i think she was malaysian
0: Um,
1: and she was like all of this was Mm -hmm. so new to me because it's i don't talk about it in yeah. my culture, whereas some of the other people, for them, it was kind of just like a refresher. So yeah. everyone's at different stages, and I feel like there definitely are some subcultures that need to, yeah, need a little bit more um, work to go. But obviously, when you compare to, let's say, 10, 20 years ago, yeah, we are progressing. Mm-hmm. Some of us would argue not fast enough because, <laughs> you know, we're still losing thousands of people every year so i feel like we'll never feel like it's enough until that number is zero yeah um because the thing is we shouldn't be losing people because they're afraid to speak up or because you know they want their pain to end but don't see any other way um and i think we have come a long way but it still attests to the fact that you know we still there's still such a long way to go, and there are definitely some some groups that are a lot further behind, mm. um, and that's why it's so important that we just keep having these conversations and keep educating ourselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. As like one individual, you can have so much impact on other people's mm. lives and not the way that people see it, and like even just one conversation can really change the way that they go about talking about mental health. So, mm. yeah, like there's a lot of power.
1: Yeah, and I think we forget that sometimes. Um, like, I had a conversation when I was 18 with one of my mates. who we were just at, like, Oatley Pub, which <laughs> I don't know if anyone listening is from the St. George area, but every person in the St. George area will go to Oatley Pub when they turn 18. And it's like I had this random conversation with, with one of my mates there, mm. and afterwards he actually messaged me, and he's like, you know, no one has actually spoken to me about mental health the way you just did. And he's like, in one conversation – I feel so different about it just because no one has, you know, he's like, not that I even had any, anything against people with mental illness, but I just didn't know anything. So I just had this, like, you know, it's like that fear of the unknown as well. Um, so I think sometimes we think I'm just, you know, one person, even if I just talk to one person, what difference is that going to make? But when you think about, well, that person might tell five people, they might take it to their class or to their group of friends. So you don't actually know what flow-on effect it can have.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, How do you think students then can um, challenge mental health stigma in their day-to-day
1: lives? Yep, so be brave to pick up on when your friends are, you know, not using positive or if they're using stigmatising language – um challenging them on their beliefs i'm not saying you have to do it every single day every single conversation (laughs) but um encouraging them to get educated like the really cool thing is there are even at unsw there are so many resources available Mm -hmm. like the work that arc and arc wellness do is incredible you guys have so you you guys have so many opportunities for people to actually upskill and educate themselves um, and it's something that probably if you were anywhere else in the world, you might not have that opportunity. Um, so I feel like it's kind of at that stage. now. What you were saying before, Isabel, was right. Like we are, we're in that age of information. So I kind of feel like there's really no excuse for you not to be informed. Yeah. Because everything is right there at our fingertips. Um, you can call the counselling service or pop by the counselling service and pick up some resources and learn a bit more there's so many resources out there so educate yourself educate those around you um even i would encourage you to follow follow some mental health pages Mm. um there's you know beyond blue headspace lifeline kids helpline are you okay meraki mental health training um you know there's a lot of different resources out there that you can just surround yourself with that positive mental health messaging
0: yeah definitely do you have any like specific top five or top one even um favorites that you like for mental health resources Mm.
1: well i quite like mine personally so if you want to go to muraki and page training i do like that one um in all honesty i love the arc wellness instagram page um i followed that when i was a student here and i feel like there's so many great resources on there um Headspace is also really good. That's sort of more so focused on the youth services. Um, Lifeline, like those key ones, 100%. Um, I also really like, there's these two called Tomorrow Man and Tomorrow Woman. um, And they're, like one is specifically for sort of males, masculinity, one's for females and things like that. Um, And they do incredible work.
0: We did um, a workshop with Tomorrow Man last year, actually, and I think we're going to yeah. hopefully
1: do something again with them this year. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, great to hear that. Really, that's on your really cool. approved list. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many. 180, um, I, yeah. I saw 180 was um, at UNSW for O-Week as well. They're yeah. incredible. They do open up sessions, like peer support or peer, peer-led um, groups. Um, the Pretty Foundation, which is sort of focused on body image, um, and educating young girls that, you know, you can be pretty smart, pretty brave, pretty strong. You don't just need to be pretty in the face. I love that. Um, yeah, so there's so many great ones. Um, maybe after you can sort of link <laughs> on your well- uh, wellness page to some of those. Um, but there's so many great ones out there. And I think once you start following a few, they just keep coming up as the recommended. Definitely. So literally most of my feed is mental health and well being and positivity pages because... I feel like there's so much am i allowed to say the word crap there's so <laughs> much crap out there um i got sick of following the kardashians and yeah. the jenners and the every other person in the world that is out there to make you feel bad about yourself um and i think once you can kind of clear up your feed kind of helps as well and it solidifies you know that education that you're getting
0: yeah too yeah i did that with my feed recently i like unfollowed everyone who i like was an influencer basically Mm -hmm. and honestly the best thing for my mental health like amazing it's Mm -hmm. such a small thing but the benefits
1: yeah because honestly like that's a different conversation (laughs) that we can have because the beef i have with these influencers that all they do is make you feel bad about yourself and then make money off that it just baffles me. Um, but, you know, there's so many pages out there that you can follow. Um, if you do follow ARKMOMA, like, I've seen you guys link to other stuff as well. So yeah. I reckon for UNSW students, that would be a great starting point.
0: Oh, thanks for the plug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Meraki MH training as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't worry, we'll include all, all these <laughs> handles in the description. Don't want anyone missing out on this no. quality content. <laughs> Awesome. Um, So I guess to wrap off, is there like one piece of advice you'd give to any students listening?
1: I would honestly say that as I look at my little mug here, that it's okay (laughs) to not be okay. And that if you are struggling, no matter how small your issue, issue is or how big your issue is, there is always someone that you can talk to. Um, I think the whole thing around therapy is so stigmatized, but it's literally just having a chat with somebody who is there to help you and listen to you. You're not crazy for seeking help. You're not weak for seeking help. Seeking help is actually these days seen as an act of bravery and courage and strength. Um, Like you know, in the same way that if you break a bone or you notice something physically, you go to a GP, you go to a physio, you go wherever you need to go to fix yourself physically. Um, Our mental health is the exact same thing. So I really encourage everyone, no matter your backgrounds, you know, get educated, have those positive conversations. But if you yourself are struggling, there I guarantee there is always somebody to talk to. Um, And again, Ark Wellness has a really good job of actually providing information about the services on campus. Um, But there's also off campus as well. So no issue is too small. It's okay to not be okay and help is always going to be out there for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like therapy isn't just for people who have mental illnesses. Yeah. Uh, Even if you're just struggling with mental health or like just want to talk to someone, Mm. that is always an option and you don't have to be, you know, on the brink of like a mental illness Episode for you to
1: reach out. Yeah, 100%. And if anything, your your outcomes are actually going to be like we know this, evidence has shown that the earlier you intervene on any issue, the better outcome it's going to have later on. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be a much more uphill battle if you leave it to the point where you're at mental breakdown rather than you've just started to feel a little bit you know, bit unwell, bit not like yourself, if you tackle it right then and then, it's going to have a lesser impact on your functioning and on your life. Yeah, that preventative approach. Yeah, 100%.
0: Well, thank you so much, Selah, for joining us for today's episode of TN Talk. And thanks to all our TN Talkers for listening in. We hope you enjoyed today's chat. If you have any questions or topics you want us to chat about, please reach out at ARC Wellness on Insta or email us at wellness at ARC.UNSW.edu.au. So take care, check in on your mates and reach out if you need support. We'll see you next time for another cup of tea.